Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, well, let's go to the Word this morning. Genesis chapter 21 and 22. We're looking in this series at Covenant. And last week, I kind of did a review of where we had left off with our study of Covenant. And today, we're going to kind of finish the Covenant aspect and talk about how God provides the Lamb. As we've looked at covenant, we've, we've begun to see the command to follow that God issues to Abram in Genesis 12, the promise of his blessing, and I will bless you and you will be a blessing and those who bless you will be blessed by you. We've looked at the challenges to trust and how Abraham and Sarah, not understanding God's full plan, trying to subvert his plan by their own, put forward. But today we consider the last and what I would say is the most important part of how God completes his covenant by fulfilling his promise and providing a lamb. Let's go to Genesis 21. I want to look at verses 1 through 7 as we begin today. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abram, Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's stop there for a moment. Ten years, maybe more, have passed in the promise made to the time we come to in chapter 21, to where God fulfills his promise to Abraham. And we may be tempted to ask, why so long? I mean, I think it's a legitimate question. Why did God wait so long to fulfill the promise? You see, what we need to understand and what I want you to see today is that God is working every second of those years. There is never a moment when he is absent or dormant in his working, but he's preparing Abraham and Sarah for all that he has for them. The Lord visited and he did as he promised. And at the time he's spoken, that first verse of Genesis 21 holds more theological foundation for us to understand God than anything. Go back and look at it with me one more time, very briefly. The Lord visited Sarah, how? As he had said. You want to know why it's important to know God's word? Because when God works, and the way he works is going to be as he has said. But the second thing you should see, and the Lord did to Sarah, how? As he promised. As he promised. And so we see that she conceives and gives birth to Isaac at 90 years of age. Friends, there aren't things that are more frightening to me than for a grandmother to mother a child. I don't know about you, but when my mother became a grandmother, she was no longer my mother. I don't know who the woman that appeared all of a sudden became, but she was no longer the woman that raised me. 
And ladies, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just being honest about this. Like she said yes to things that I didn't even dare ask. And she would do it without them having to ask. But here we see even worse, a great-grandmother becomes a mother. And I can tell you, my grandmother changed a whole other time when my kids came along and there were great-grandkids around. There wasn't anybody better than my godmommy, who was my great-grandmother, right? I mean, this is a dangerous situation in which we walk into here. And that's what we're seeing. There, there was a joy here that is incomparable, indescribable. Abraham, 100 years old. Look what it says about him in verse 3. Called the name of his son who was born to him. Listen to that. Whom Sarah bore to him. You know what that reminds us? You've got a plan. God doesn't need it. God has a plan. And he's going to work his will out for your good in his way. By his will. Be careful that you learn these lessons that you do not have to repeat if you'll simply trust And how potent these lessons are in the simplicity of what is being stated here. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God commanded him. We we zoom in on what is transpiring in these days with an acute clarity, a simplicity, but a striking accuracy of what Moses is saying to us with words that provide a powerful punch you see why did it take so long because God is teaching Abraham and Sarah who he is maybe that's why it's taking God so long to come to fruition with something he's told you a promise he's made to you or a question that you've put before him And you know what he was teaching Sarah through all of these years and what he was showing Abraham through all of these years? He is faithful. He is true. He is good. God is faithful. God is true. God is good. You can trust. You can obey. You see, God perfectly fulfills his promises in his way, according to his word, to reveal to us that he is faithful. He is true. He is good. Let me ask you this. Can you remember a time when you experienced what I'll call tasting God's goodness in a similar way? I use that analogy because the psalmist uses that analogy. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That that the blessing of God and his fulfillment of his word to you has a tangible aspect to the very sensory experiences of our life. Can you remember a time when you've tasted God's goodness in a similar way? Maybe it was a time when God answered a prayer. Like a a prayer that you prayed over and over with the greatest of depth, of intensity, of heart and desire and mind. And God came through and you can just remember how sweet it was. Maybe it was a need you had and you sensed an abysmal desperation like was incomparable to any other time of your life. But when God came through, he came through big. Maybe it was a desire satisfied, a longing that you had that was so, so deep. And yet God was so good when he met it. When was the last time? Let me draw from some words here. When was the last time you were giddy and all aglow over God's goodness manifested to you? Can you think of anything? 
I'm going to tell you, we live in a season right now that is not filled with much of that for many people. Is that not true? I, 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 don't, I don't sense a collective, everything's good, we got this, right? Sometimes you have to really dig for the things you can be most grateful for, but here's what I want you to remember. Don't ever think God is not good. Don't ever let the seasons or the times or the situations or the details make you think that God is not working. That's not true. That's not ever true of God. He is the one that is always working. And what we see here is now that the promise has been fulfilled to Abraham, there's a greater work still to be done. You see, so often, God's biggest blessing to us brings our greatest test. God's greatest blessing brings our biggest test. Go with me to chapter 22. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mountain of the Lord... It shall be provided. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Friends, I want you to see something here that can easily be missed in a shallow reading. God is the active agent at work here. God is the active agent at work. It is God who came to test 
Abraham regarding the blessing that he had given to us. You see, God blesses us for his purposes, not for ours. The blessings he bestows upon us are given to us, but they're not only for us. They're for his purposes. And we must be careful to pursue his purposes with those blessings, not our own. You see, no matter what it may be, God's blessing to us must never become greater than God in us. And so God tells Abraham to take Isaac and to offer him as a sacrifice This could only be absolutely earth-shattering to hear in one sense. But in another sense, Moses continues that simple, concise scripting of the story. Abraham got about the business that God had commanded him to do. He didn't hesitate. There were no questions. There were no comments. Abraham obeyed. And what transpires here is that the writer moves into this slowing of time by highlighting every action that Abraham performed with greater emphasis for the hearer and the reader. He rose early. He saddled his donkey. He chose two young men and Isaac. He cut the wood And then he went to the place that God had told him all the time there being one lingering understanding in the back of his mind of what it was that was about to transpire. You see, there was a silent resolve in the straightforwardness of these words that represent to us the full measure of what Abraham was doing And it tells us that on the third day of their journey, number one, it's been a long journey. That's a lot of time to dwell on something so deep and so impactful upon us for three whole days. But on the third day, he looked and he saw the place that God was leading him to. And so at that moment, he told his two young men with him to wait here. He and Isaac would go on alone worship and the bible tells us he placed the wood for the fire on isaac to carry but it was the father who carried the knife and the fire and then it has this phrase that it'll repeat twice both went together isaac now in his teens so you see, time has transpired. We, we would guess, commentators guess that he was anywhere from his young to his mid-teens at this point in his life. So he's not unaware of what is taking place. And let's remember, Abraham's 100 years old. It's a lot easier to think about being 100 before you actually get to be 100. And when you get to be 100, it's not that big of a deal for a 15-year-old young man. To have his way with you if he chooses. At least in the protection of himself. But we don't see that from Isaac here. He does what his father asks of him. And he asks his father along the way. Father we have the wood. We have the fire. But where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And friends that one lingering conviction that had been motivating and leading Abraham the entire time since God first called him, he repeated to his son, Son, God will provide the lamb 
for his sacrifice. And so when they came to the place, it tells us that Abraham built the altar. He placed the wood upon the altar. He bound his son. There was no tussling. There was no fight. There was no contention between the two of them. He bound his son and he laid them on the altar. And then it says that Abraham took the knife with which to slaughter his son. And at that moment, an angel of the Lord interrupted him suddenly. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And he told him now that the time was done, that he would not carry through with them, that God was satisfied that he would not use the blessing of his promise to subvert the command of his word. That God knew he feared God more than he loved his son. Friends, listen to these words. God was satisfied. There are no more glorious words in any human language that can be spoken. God was satisfied. And in that instant, it tells us that Abraham feared God more than anything else. And that's what satisfied God. And immediately there was a ram in the bush. And Abraham heard it and, and he turned around. And I'm telling you, on that day, that ram died faster than any animal has ever had its life taken from it. Abraham, out of all of the tension of the last three plus days that had transpired in this, he grabbed that lamb, he took its life, threw it on the altar and sacrificed it before anything else could change about what was transpiring. And you know what he was thinking the whole time? God would provide the lamb. God would provide the lamb. Abraham went all the way with Isaac because of that one conviction. He knew that the Lord would provide. And so he named the place, the Lord will provide. Seems like a fitting name, does it not? He didn't know how. Don't hyper-spiritualize Abraham so that you can dismiss your own obedience. It would not be easy for him. But if he had learned anything over the last 10 plus years, it was this, God is in control. You can trust him. He knows what he's doing. Most importantly, he has the power to do what he says he's going to do. He will provide for his promise. Why? Because he is faithful. Because he is true. Because he is good. Of all that Abraham knew, this is what he was confident in. That God had the power to do what he promised. He would provide the lamb. You see, it's the sacrifice that secures the covenant. Until this time, everything that has transpired in the covenant is only words. Until the sacrifice or the cut has been made, the covenant or the blessing, the promise cannot be received. And this is where God makes good on his promise. And the covenant promise was walking with Abraham. It was Isaac. It was Isaac because Abraham and Sarah had already tried to subvert God's plan by figuring out another way to have their kid. 
But God said, that's not the child you will bear with Sarah. That's not the child through which my covenant promise will be fulfilled. All Abraham knew is God would provide the lamb because the covenant promise was walking together with him. And whether that meant God was going to provide a ram at the last minute or somewhere along the way, no doubt Abraham was looking for a ram in every bush that he passed. God, give me something here, right? Or maybe God was going to bring Isaac back to life after he killed him on the altar. I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I know you're going to do it. Friends, I want to ask you a question Are you listening? Can you see the one to whom they testify to us today? The the one who will come. The, The one who will lay down his life. Who will take away our sin. Who will complete the covenant so that the blessing is ours in him. It is God alone who saves because he is the one who is working. It is he who fulfills his promise. It is he who sends the one who completes his covenant. His name is Jesus Christ. I want you to see today, friends, that God sent his only son, Jesus, as the perfect lamb of sacrifice for sin. So that all who believe would be saved to eternal life. God sent his only son Jesus as the perfect lamb of sacrifice for sin. So that all who believe would be saved to eternal life. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's actually a quote from Jonah. Who at times in reading that book, I'm pretty sure Jonah didn't fully believe what he said. Even though he was right in what he said. And God is the one who saves, and he only saves by the one he sent, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. What I want to do in our remaining moments here is I want us to hear the echoes from Abraham and Isaac all the way into this place to our very hearts this morning. And I want us to hear the echo of God completing his covenant for you and I I listen to the echoes of the perfect spotless Lamb of God today that you might hear these words from God's Word and you might believe all that He is speaking and leading you in today. Genesis chapter 21 verse 1 begins with God's promise that He would send a son through whom He would fulfill His promise. And lo and behold, at 90 years of age, a great-grandmother became a mother. Now I say great grandmother figuratively there because we don't know that Sarah had had any children prior to that. But at 90 years of age, that's a pretty good miracle, is it not? It tells us in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, the angels appeared to a young girl named Mary who was a virgin and told her that, that God had chosen her to bear His son in human flesh. We hear that echo with Abraham and Sarah. In verses 2 and 3, we see that God sent the son at the time that he had appointed for his promise to be fulfilled. And yet we see in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it tells us, but when the fullness of time had come. What does that word fullness mean? It means the perfection at just the right time. 
time, it says, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And then it tells us in Genesis that Abraham named his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. It also tells us in Matthew chapter 1 that in a dream, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. You see, when Joseph found out that Mary was with child, he knew that it was not from him. And he had decided in his heart not to expose her to the law, which he would be fully justified to do, but to lovingly put her away because he, as a righteous man, could not enter into that relationship. But an angel appeared to her and said, Joseph, The baby with which Mary is pregnant is from God. She has not been unfaithful to you. Do not put her away. Take her in. Do not know her until after the baby is born. But that child will not be yours biologically. But it will be yours physically. And it will be God's son born in human flesh. So it says when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And listen to the way the writer in Matthew poses these words. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. In verses 1 through 5 of Genesis 22, we see that God sent Abraham with Isaac to offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain. Now, don't make less of this, friends. When Abraham set out, he had already sacrificed Isaac in his heart. From the very beginning of chapter 22, the deed was done in the heart of Abraham. And we see that with the absolute resolve in the writing of Moses presenting it to us. But friends, we see something so much deeper for us than that it is the resolve of God the father who recounted in John chapter 3 and verse 16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and so when chapter or when verse 6 of chapter 22 arrives we see where Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice but it was the father who held the instruments of death, the knife and the fire. John chapter 19 tells us, So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull. And when when Isaac inquired of his father in verses 7, he said, Father, we have everything we need except for the lamb. Where will the sacrificial lamb come, come from? And the father says, The Lord will provide the lamb. We see the son trusting to rest in the father's will. We hear the echo of Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus is in the garden. He says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Divine submission transpiring from the son to the father. And then when he stood before the crowds and the accusations that were totally false flew, Jesus remained silent. And when his accusers were beating down upon him, he gave no answer. Why? Because as Acts chapter 8 verse 32 recounts Isaiah 53, he says, like a sheep who is led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. We hear that echo in Genesis 
Verses 10 through 13, we see that God provided a lamb for the sacrifice. It was the perfect, spotless lamb of God. John 1, 29 says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when did he come? But Romans 5, verses 6 and 8 tells us, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One more echo, friends. And this is so important to understand biblical salvation. Verses 6 and verse 8. Back to that repeated phrase. So they went both of them together. Listen friends. God is not passive in the death of Jesus Christ. He is the agent who is working for our salvation. He is working. He is Present, such that Isaiah tells us, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why? Out of love and out of his righteousness, paying the penalty for our sin. And yet, in the midst of this, there is no tension between the Son and the Father. We see this with Jesus and God the Father. Jesus remained in perfect submission to the Father's will, even to the point of death. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus willingly laid down his life for us in submission to the Father's will. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. Catch this image, friends. Not of Abraham and Isaac, but of God the Father and Jesus the Son. They went together to the altar of sacrifice. God leading his son, Jesus. But it, as this, it is at this altar that something distinct happens. God walked together with Jesus, his only begotten son, to the cross to offer him as a propitiation for our sin. It was God who was bearing the instruments and the weight of death upon him because it was his good pleasure to crush his son in our place. Jesus did not come down from the cross as Isaac got off the altar because that was an echo but Jesus was the reality of it. And though he was taunted by those who stood around, if you are the real king, why don't you command the angels to come and to save you? Why don't you come down off that cross? Because he was the lamb of God. He was living out God's perfect will and purpose for his life as he stayed on the cross for you and I to demonstrate a love That's never been repeated and shall never be. And in that moment, God turned his face away and Jesus bore the weight of our sin and the reality of it alone. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he didn't just know sin, he became sin for us. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Matthew 27.46 says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. The Father walked him all the way to the cross. 
And he turned his face away and Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 1 John 4.10 echoes, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. The sacrifice is made so that the covenant can be received. Jesus died so that your sins can be forgiven and you can receive eternal life in him. Verses 15 to 19 of Genesis 22 tells us that Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. That place was called Golgotha in the New Testament. Why? Because God provided the lamb for our sacrifice. And an angel returns to him and he repeats the blessing of the covenant which is now his because the sacrifice has been made. And it tells us Abraham and Isaac returned home to Sarah. Be careful not to forget how this passage begins, friends. This isn't something God had to step in because he was surprised about and figure a way through. It says God tested Abraham. This was God working. And it was the greatest test of his life with only one right answer. Not knowing how it would come about. Not knowing what it would look like or when it would happen. Or even why this was the way God chose. Abraham never wavered. But he walked every step in obedience to God. Why? Because this is what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. What did he believe? That God had the power to do what he had promised he would do. This is the conviction of faith in the gospel that when we hear, we believe God. It doesn't matter how high or how deep or wide the odds against him are stacked. They will not prevail. His word will return every purpose for which he has sent it forth. It will be done. You see, friends, the gospel is the ultimate test of life for all who hear it. The ultimate test of your life is before you this very day. The echo of Genesis comes to full bear in November of 2020 to ask you today, will you hear and believe what God has done for you Will you repent of your sin? Will you turn from yourself? Will you put your faith in Christ? You say, but, but I don't know how. You don't have to know how. I don't know why. You don't have to know why. I don't know what. You don't have to know any of that. All you must do is believe. Will you trust and receive the forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus offers to you today? Or will you reject him? Will you reject him? It's the ultimate test of all of life. You see, the gospel is the good news of God for us. That calls us to believe in Jesus, to repent of our sin, to receive forgiveness and cleansing for that sin, and the eternal life that only he can give. And friends, if today you will, as Abraham did in his day, lift up your eyes and see the place where God cut the sacrifice of covenant for you at the place of the cross of Jesus Christ, where he was crucified, where he was buried, and where he was raised on the third day. If you will trust in him,
today you will be known by him in eternal life. Why not today? Why not today? Let's pray.